Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 302, and today we are talking about books being released on March 16th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Tirza, hello! Hey, Liberty! How are you today? I'm good. This is, like, the second podcast I've recorded today, so I'm pretty excited. I'm in, like, book-talking mode. (laughs) Excellent. I feel that, too. I think this is the fourth podcast I've recorded this week, so it's been a very (laughs) podcast-heavy week. Yeah. But it feels good, because books are fun, I like talking about them, and also when we're talking about books, we don't have to think so much about everything else. (laughs) I hear that, I hear that. Uh, It's been very fun to just kind of dive into books and, yeah, get lost. We're also going to answer some listener questions, you and I, after we're done talking about our books today. Going off that whole 300th episode thing that we've been doing, you still have time. If you have a burning question, uh, you can send it to all the books at bookriot.com. And if we get it before we record the next episode, we just might answer it on air. I would say on air, but it's not live. <laughs> on the recorded air, I guess I should say. Thank goodness we're not live. You would hear all of our flubs and flounders. <laughs> it's true. Thank goodness for our editors. It took me a long time to even, like, use them, though. I still felt bad. You know, I'd be like, I'm sorry I made a mistake. And they're like, it's our job. That's what we do. That's what we're here for. You're literally keeping us employed. It's like, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we'll just continue. But I still feel bad. (laughs) I know. I'm always like, I'm so sorry. I stumbled over all my words today. But it's just because we're so (laughs) excited about books. It's true. And I talk really fast, like in general. And so when I talk about something I love, I talk even faster. I'm trying to speak slowly now. (laughs) Yes. Most most listeners are like, I usually listen to podcasts at one and a half times the speed, but not yours. (laughs) We serve that sort of sped up um, version of talking just free. You don't have to speed us up. We'll we'll speed up for you. (laughs) No extra charge. So we are going to talk about our books now after we hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. 
Miss Wong got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. Shi Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shi Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shi Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased increasingly more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eilin for sponsoring this episode. Okay, I'm starting off today's show with a dark, creepy, fun police thriller it is called The Jigsaw Man by Nadine Matheson in what I believe is going to be a series. This is the first book. And just want to give you a heads up. It is called The Jigsaw Man. You might be able to guess why. If not, let me just say it's going to be grotesque and I'm going to mention it. So there's that happening. This is basically like Luther meets Silence of the Lambs. It's about D.I. Angelica Henley. She has been called to the scene... She's been called to the Thames. They've pulled all these body parts. Like someone has cut someone up or several people up. And it's very reminiscent of a serial killer that she captured many years before named Peter Oliver, who did the same thing. He was nicknamed the Jigsaw Man. Now he's behind bars. And she calls to make sure he's still behind bars because this just seems creepy that the same thing is happening. So now she has to figure out, did Peter have a partner? Is this a copycat? So she's going to have to go talk to him, which is going to be way more fun for him than it is for her having to talk to this creepy serial killer. She also realizes that the victims of these latest murders, once they figure out who they are, are not chosen at random and they may in fact be related to her somehow. So she must find the killer or killers before they strike again. But then the pressure is really on because, uh-oh, Peter Oliver, the jigsaw man, escapes from prison. So now she's trying to find him. She's trying to find the killer or killers. Were they in cahoots? Is that how he got out? It's very stressful. I really like this, especially because she's Nadine Matheson writes this character. She's so driven. She has like this tunnel vision about the case. And when you read books like this, it's usually like this police officer who has a family at home and his wife is always like, you're never here. You never talk to us. You never do anything. When in fact, in this one, it's like, her husband is in that role. You know, he's like, I wish you would make it to dinner. You need to stop thinking about work. And it was nice to see that change, even if it's, like, very stressful because, you know, obviously you feel for her family and you feel for her because she wants to catch a killer. Uh, and she's just so intent on catching the killer or killers that she's willing to sacrifice everything, risk her personal safety. She just really, really wants to solve the case. It's really fun and gross and scary. It is The Jigsaw Man by Nadine Matheson. 
Awesome. Uh, Jamie, who writes our Mysteries newsletter, actually told me about that book, and I downloaded the audiobook the other day. So I'm excited to read that Ooh. one. So my first pick is a book that you might be hearing about a lot because it's been getting a ton of hype. It is Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bully. And it is 110% worth the hype, in my opinion. Uh, This book is uh, just amazing. It's also been optioned already uh, by the Obama's production company, and it's been picked up by Netflix. So that is going to be really awesome. Uh, Before I dive in, I just want to give a little bit of a content warning for drug use, violence, and assault. But this is a really incredible book. It is a mystery. It is set in 2004, 2005. I can't quite remember. uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, which is really exciting because I don't think that I have read many, if not any, YA books set in Michigan's UP, and that is Upper Peninsula, for those of you not in the know. Um, I'm a Michigander, so I really appreciated that this felt like a really great, amazing, authentic um, Michigan YA novel. So it stars Donis, who is an 18-year-old young woman, and she's living in Sault Ste. Marie, and she's kind of torn between two different worlds. She's biracial, and so her mom is white and her mom's family is like one of the most uh, rich, influential, powerful families in Sault Ste. Marie. Her dad is Ojibwe and her dad's side of the family lives on the uh, Sugar Island Reservation nearby. And so she is an unenrolled, um, she's not enrolled tribally. And that's partially because her birth was a bit of a scandal. Her parents weren't married. Um, they were very, very, very young. Um, there was some drama that happened around her birth. Like that is kind of part of the mystery and the secret as you are starting to read about Donis. So at the start of the book, she is about um, ready to start college. She has deferred enrollment at the University of Michigan to stay up north because her maternal grandmother has just suffered a stroke and is um, not really doing very well. And her mom's not doing very well coping. Um, Also, before the book starts, her uncle died of an apparent drug overdose, which was really traumatic for her mom and her family because he had been clean for for years, if not decades. And uh, they just are having a hard time reconciling with the fact that he must have had a slip. And so... That is kind of what's going on. Like these bad things have happened to Donis and she is afraid that, you know, bad bad things happen in threes. And so something else is going to happen. And she thinks if she can stay up north and she can go to college close to home, maybe she can prevent the bad, um, the third bad thing from happening. Well, unfortunately, she cannot. Um, The third bad thing that happens is that she witnesses a murder. And that murder is very shocking to her because... In that moment, she realizes that there's some pretty serious like drug production and moving going around um, in her hometown. And the FBI and the Bureau of Indian Affairs suspect that somebody on the reservation is responsible. And Donis, because she witnesses this murder and because of who she knows and what she knows and how she's able to kind of go back and forth between these two worlds, uh, she's pulled into the undercover investigation. 
And so that is very difficult for her because she's basically living a lie, but she's also trying to find out the truth about what really happened. She's traumatized from what she witnessed. She's grieving. And she also wants justice as well. So I just thought that this was a really incredible book. I don't want to say too much more about, um, you know, what's what happens and, you know, who is all involved, because I think that it this is a book that is really amazing because she builds the world up in such interesting layers and so many interesting things happen in this book. Um, I was just absolutely glued to my headphones. I listened to it on audio, but this is totally a book that I want to own in print. I could see myself rereading. Um, it is a fantastic mystery. It gets a little dark, but it is also, I think, very realistic. I also really loved learning a lot about Donis's father's family's culture and their practices and how that influences her. And also just her struggle, because I think like many biracial people, you know, she feels like she's too much and not enough of one thing or the other at the same time. So this is really like a great coming of age story alongside being an amazing mystery. And that is Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bully. I'm very excited about that one myself, especially it's after very I heard good. that it was going to be a series already. Yes. It just sounds fantastic. So my next pick is called The Lamplighters by Emma Stonex, and it is set in Cornwall in 1972 and 1992. And at the beginning of the book, the author mentions that there was a disappearance in 1900 where these three men who were manning a lighthouse were just gone one day and nobody knows what happened to them. But that's as far as like the similarities go. Her story is based on that mystery just in what happened, but not actual facts or about their character or anything. So it is the story has now moved up to 1972 when it starts. There's a man who is rowing the replacement lighthouse keeper out to the lighthouse. There are three men in the lighthouse, and there's a new guy who's coming out to replace one of them, and then the boat will row the other guy back. But when they get there, nobody comes out to meet them. Nobody seems to be moving around. And when they go, they can't find anyone. Like, there's no one there. So they go back to to land. They get some more help, and they come back. The, the door is locked from the inside. They have to pry the door open. And they look around, and everything seems normal inside, except one of the chairs at the kitchen table is knocked over. There are only two place settings, like they were getting ready to eat, except there are only two place settings instead of three. The light had been lit the night before, which means that whatever happened to these men happened, like, right before this boat got there, and all the clocks have stopped at 8.45 a.m., and that's all they know about this, and they can't find any traces of these three men anywhere. No signs of a struggle, nothing out of place, except for that one knocked over chair. So creepy, right? Just so creepy. So this this is it. And that, like, basically, there's an investigation. Um, and, you know, people are, have all these theories. Uh, they jumped into the ocean. They got washed away into the ocean. Uh, they hopped on a boat and started new lives somewhere else. Um, you know, one killed the others. You know, one killed one and the other one killed him. And then the other one, you know, um, aliens. Alien is, aliens are a very popular theory. But... You know, now it's now it jumps to 1992 and there's a famous author who wants to solve the mystery of what happened to these three men 20 years earlier. And he's going to 
interview, the women who were left behind, two of these men had wives, one of them had a girlfriend. Uh, one of them wants to cooperate because she has some secrets of her own that she wants to share, while the other two don't want her to cooperate, and they don't want to cooperate for other reasons. First and foremost being that because of the investigation into what happened, it was uncovered that one of the men on the island, like at the lighthouse, uh, had a shadier past than people realized, and he was mostly blamed for what happened. They're like, well, if someone did something bad, it had to have been this guy. And so they're afraid that they will lose their pension. They're given a pension because of their loss, these women. Uh, They're afraid they'll lose their pension if the truth about what they know comes out. Uh, So these women have the secrets of their own. This story has a very slow reveal or should say reveals like very slow and the cover is absolutely beautiful and I think it gives the illusion of being like one of those historical novels like All the Light We Cannot See or The Light Between Oceans. I just realized now all three of these books have light in the title. Maybe that's what you need but I do want to say that there are some pretty sinister things that happen in this book. There's also a ton of cursing Uh, in the scenes with the men in the lighthouse because we get the point of view from six of the characters here, the three women and the three men. Uh, There's tons of cursing. uh, And some of these people have done some pretty shady things. Some things that you think are horrible are going to turn out not to be what you thought later on, and some things are going to be even worse. It was just so eerie and enthralling. Um, It reminded me of The Weight of Water by Anita Shreve, which was also based on events that took place on a small island many years ago. It's actually a small island that I could see from here if I were to walk down the street from my house, um, which makes it sound like you could tell where I live, but actually it's like miles of coastline. Everyone can see it from here. Um, But that's also like a case that we've grown up listening to that just no one ever was really sure what happened. So it's a story like that, like where it's like, whoa, what could it be? And you do find out what happened in this book, but, you know, it, it could have well then something else it's just amazing so that is called the lamplighters and it is by emma stonex that sounds sinister uh, it is so, yeah like i'm just like oh i like those kind of mysteries like historical mysteries like where did all those people go you know? yeah that is very exciting so my next pick is the mirror season by anna marie uh, macklemore and this is a really fantastic book. I have enjoyed pretty much everything that they have written. I do want to say up front, though, content warnings for sexual assault and I would say probably PTSD and recovery. Um, just that's very emotional and intense. And if that's not for you, you might want to skip ahead here. But this is a contemporary sort of magical realism retelling of the fairy tale the snow queen and it's kind of one of those like lesser known fairy tales that i always have thought was really fascinating and i always have wanted you know just writers to retell and maybe do a little bit more with and macklemore just does an amazing job with this book so it is about these two teenagers um one is named graciella and one is a boy named Locke. and at the beginning all you really know is that they have both been at a party and graciella like knows all the people at the party it's like people she goes to school with Locke is somebody that she doesn't know. He seems to be pretty unfamiliar, like he's new. Um, And 
what you know at the very beginning is that Graciela is assaulted at the party. And she knows who assaulted her. Um, But she also knows that Locke was assaulted as well. And she knows who assaulted him. And she also knows that he was drugged and he's pretty much out of it. And she's not even sure that he knows what has happened to him. So she kind of pushes down like all of her hurt and she... Um, rescues him like she she basically gets him out of the party she gets into a hospital and she drops him off there and she doesn't say anything about what happened to her and she goes home and she just kind of tries to pretend um, I mean she can't pretend that it didn't happen but she doesn't tell anybody and so Graciela is somebody who works at her um, Tia's Pastelleria, and she is kind of known throughout the town as having this magical ability to guess what people have, um, like what people who come in want and what they need. And so it's kind of like almost a tourist stick where people will come in and they'll wait for her to tell them what to order. And it's this magical ability that she has inherited from her great grandmother. And when this thing happens to her, she loses that ability and it becomes very difficult for her to just kind of get through um, day to day. Uh, Also, at the same time, she's seeing that there are flowers all around her town that are turning to glass. And she knows that a shard of glass has um, basically splintered and entered into Locke and he's not aware of it. So there's a lot of metaphorical things happening in this book. It's all very beautifully done. But then she starts school and she discovers that Locke is one of the new kids at her school and they sort of strike up this friendship, even though she kind of wants to stay away from him because if she helps him remember what happened to him and helps him find the truth, then she's also going to have to face what happened to her and that trauma. And she, like I said, she knows you know, who assaulted them both. And, you know, the the perpetrators go to their school and they're people that Graciela just does not want to call out publicly. So this is a really difficult at times, but beautiful story about sexual assaults, the aftermath of that, but then also just like the healing power of relationships and and reaching out to other people and how that can help you get through some of the really most difficult times. So that is The Mirror Season by Anna Marie McLemore. It is beautiful. That's another one that I have around here somewhere. I need to read. I usually say, oh, Tears is reading that or <laughs> is reading that. So like I wait and then I read it later. So my next pick is another sort of mystery. It is called The House Uptown by Melissa Ginsburg. It's set in New Orleans, and there's something that happens at the beginning. I love mysteries like this where, like, there's that little, like, scene where something happens and then you jump into the first chapter and you're in a different time period now or, like, no one's talking about what happened and you're like, what happened? What was that? Who did that? So that's one of these. So when the book opens, something is happening, which I can't tell you. And then in the first chapter, now it's many years later, and there's a girl named Ava. She's 14 years old. Her mother had died. Uh, her father had died a few years earlier, and now her mother has just died suddenly. Uh, so she is sent to live with her grandmother named Lane. And her mother's roommate assumes, like, oh, she knows her grandmother 
uh, Lane must know her. You know, she's going to want her to come live with her and just makes these arrangements. It's not really her responsibility to watch this kid, but she's like, oh, grandmother, great, off she goes. And it turns out that her grandmother, Lane, is very eccentric. She's kind of a recluse. She's a, a painter. She seems to be very well off. She lives in this big mansion, but it's, like, very messy and full of stuff inside. Uh, she has a 20-something assistant named Oliver, who pretty much takes care of her. She's beginning to lose her memory, which she's trying to hide from him, but it's not working very well. Uh, and she keeps forgetting things, including the fact that someone called her and said that Ava was coming to her house. So Ava shows up. Her grandmother's like, who are you? Oliver's like, who are you? And it becomes really apparent, like, very fast that Ava is the adult in this situation, even though she's only 14. Like, they invite her in, and then they start smoking pot in front of her, and she's like, what? This is not supposed to be happening. And they can't believe she doesn't have a cell phone. She, Her mother didn't believe in screens, and she wasn't allowed to, like, use a computer or talk on a cell phone. So they're like, we gotta get you a cell phone. Like, they're, like, sort of, like, footloose and fancy-free, where Ava's, like, more responsible. She's a voracious reader, and... So, like I said, they've never met before. She's never met her grandmother, and she doesn't know why that is. And Ava also bears a striking resemblance to her mother, which causes her grandmother, Lane, you know, a lot of pain, but also causes her to begin remembering some terrible things that happened decades ago. And so it's sort of like Ava is the one who brings these truths to light. And we find out, like, why Lane and Ava's mother stopped speaking it's a family drama with mystery undertones. Like, I wouldn't say, like, the mystery is what drives it. It's more like the complicated relationships, you know. I think we've gotten away from that point where we all just believe, like, adults know what's going on, adults are responsible, you know, and kids don't. Like, I don't think that's portrayed very often anymore, and I think that's very realistic. Like, adults are huge messes sometimes, and the children are very responsible. And so that's kind of what's going on in this book. And I really enjoyed it. It's called The House Uptown, and it's by Melissa Ginsberg. Okay, and now we are going to hear from our next sponsor. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dad 
dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All right, Tirza, what do you have for us? All right, so my next pick is The Dating Plan by Sarah Desai. And it is a romance novel. And this is like going to be so perfect if you like that fake dating uh, sort of, I would say, not quite enemies to lovers, but like second chance love. You know, people who are really antagonistic towards each other at first, but then end up falling for each other. It is about Daisy Patel, who is a software engineer, and she works for a startup company that is creating sustainable period products. And at the very beginning of the book, she is at this tech conference where a bunch of startups are pitching their uh, ideas and their products to venture capitalists. And so she is waiting for her session and she, in very quick order, bumps into her ex-boyfriend who is, has now hooked up with her former boss and also one of these like beloved but very much meddling aunties shows up at this conference with an eligible young man in tow and she's like you should date this guy and it is like too much for daisy she's like no 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 like i i can't deal with all this she also happens to run into liam murphy who it turns out is a venture capitalist and he is a um He's somebody that she has known since she was a kid because he was her brother's best friend and they have not seen each other in like nearly a decade. And she actually is completely shocked and very angry to see him because the last time she saw him, he stood her up for prom. So... That is a lot for her to process, but then also she needs a really quick out that will allow her to kind of escape her her meddling auntie's marriage goals, and then she also wants to kind of show up her ex-boyfriend, so she pretends that he is her fiancé for, like, five minutes, and then she's like, I never want to see you again. I'm still completely hurt by what you did. Well, then you come to find out that Liam... Um, has recently returned to town. He is a venture capitalist, but he wanted to come to San Francisco and head up his company's new office there because he recently reconnected with his grandfather. And you get the sense that he also has some, like, serious family issues, like his father was an alcoholic and they did not have a good relationship. And his grandfather, unfortunately, has recently passed away. And he's really sad about that because he just kind of recently reconnected and um, was starting to build that relationship up again. So seeing Daisy again is kind of like a blast from the past, but he also feels bad for standing her up. But you don't quite know why he did it at the beginning of the book. But you also find out that he is currently waiting to hear about the fate of his family's business and his grandfather's will. And so he goes to a will reading and he learns that basically 
he his grandfather's will and him receiving um, any sort of money or anything from his grandfather is contingent on the fact that he needs to marry and stay married for at least a year. And normally that would not be something that would be an issue except for what's at stake is his family's distillery, which has basically been in the family forever. And his brother just wants to sell and get rid of so he can kind of fund his own business. And so, you know, it turns out that Liam actually could, you know, marry fast and hopefully satisfy those terms of his grandfather's will. And since Daisy has already kind of told this auntie that they're in engaged um like why not kind of become fake fiancés at least for a little bit until they figure out their next move and hopefully try to solve some of their problems so they come up with this dating plan where they're going to date each other to sort of validate these lies that they have told but of course along the way they find themselves sort of changing tune when it comes to how they feel about one another and also you know finding out more about each other's past and what happened to them uh, when they were teenagers and what sort of caused these great, huge misunderstandings that led to Liam standing her up at prom. So again, if you like like all the tropes, this is a really great, fun romance. I blew through it. I listened to it on audio and it's narrated by Sunila Nankani, who's one of my favorite audiobook narrators. So definitely worth doing on audio if that's something that you enjoy. And that is The Dating Plan by Sarah Desai. All right. My last pick today is a fun illustrated history book called Law-Breaking Ladies, 50 Tales of Daring, Defiant, and Dangerous Women from History by Erica Owen and Alexander Wright. And this is full of tales of female pirates, fraudsters, gamblers, bootleggers, serial killers, madams, and outlaws through the ages. Uh, It's illustrated beautifully, and each woman has a little write-up that has just enough information. Some of them I was like, ooh, I want to know more about this. But that's what we have Google for. Then you can go and learn some more on your own. Um, and you know how history reveres gangsters and outlaws like Al Capone and Jesse James. They're fascinated with serial killers. And this is the same thing, but these are women who were pulling the same crimes, doing the same jobs, doing the same thing as men during their times, but were not nearly as well known. Uh, there are some... Some better-known women in this, like Anne Bonny, who was a very famous uh, Irish pirate. Uh, And then there are lesser-known women who owned casinos or were amazing gamblers. Uh, Women who disguised themselves as men to pull off the crimes that they're known for. Uh, Pirates, poisoners. It is in no way condoning these things. It's not like, here are some things you might want to take up. But, you know, it's just providing little-known history Uh, Which is perfect for people who love to read about that sort of thing. Like, oh, I've never heard of this person or I've never heard of this. And that reminds me of a book that I just picked up because I heard about it and I'd never heard this story. Um, I just got the novel The Murder of Marion Miley by Beverly Bell uh, because someone mentioned it somewhere on the internet. Um, It's a novel, but it's based on the true story. Marion Miley in 1941 was an internationally renowned golf champion. She had won every leading women's tournament except the national title and she was destined for great things they thought she was going to be the champion forever she was also uh studying to become a doctor she was friends with bing crosby she was a huge celebrity at this time and like nobody knows who she is right now if you mentioned her name um in september of 1941 she was murdered in the middle of the night in the lexington country club 
And this was like a huge story at the time, but less than two months later, Pearl Harbor happened and her story was knocked from the headlines and she faded into obscurity. Like, I haven't read the book yet, so I don't know if they caught her killer or killers. You know, I don't know what happened, but I was just like, who is this woman? I want to know more about her. So I picked up that book too. So I'll let you know if it's excellent. I just like learning about things that I don't know, which is a huge amount of things. So this book I was talking about first was called Lawbreaking Ladies, 50 Tales of Daring, Defiant, and Dangerous Women from History by Erica Owen and Alexander Wright. And the second one is The Murder of Marion Miley by Beverly Bell, which is available now. Oh, that sounds very fascinating. Yeah, I'm so, I'm having such a hard time. Like, I so want to know what happened. And I'm like, don't Google it. Don't Google it. Don't Google it. So I have to read it soon. Yes, that is the challenge with some of these true crime, like, books, but also documentaries, too, because uh, my partner and I were watching the Cecil Hotel Netflix, and I was mm-hmm. like, I remember hearing about it, but I couldn't remember what happened. And they were like, oh, I know what happened. And I was like, don't tell me, but we've got to watch all of the episodes right now. <laughs> so... Um, anyhow, my last pick is That Way Madness Lies, which is a YA anthology edited by Dahlia Adler. And this is the second retelling anthology that she has put out with just an incredible lineup of YA authors, including Lily Anderson, um, Brittany Cavallaro, Anna Marie McLemore, whom I just mentioned, um, Toshi Anyabuchi, Marco Shiro, Lindsay Smith, Kirsten White, just so many great, amazing authors. And I have to admit, I did not get all the way through this anthology because I've been reading it on my Kindle because of, you know, advanced copies, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's funny because I was just doing an episode with uh, Hannah and we talked about how difficult we find reading anthologies on uh, ebook and we just both preferred have paper and that's kind of been the case here because I would love to just kind of page through this and um, I normally am the type of person that likes to read anthologies in order but I have my favorite Shakespeare plays and um, I, oh I guess I didn't mention this is a retelling of Shakespeare's plays and it's YA short stories it's brilliant so I have my favorite Shakespeare plays I get really excited too when I look at an author lineup like this and I think like ooh how is Lily Anderson going to retell as you like it and so I've been hopping around my favorite short stories of what I've read thus far definitely include Lily Anderson's retelling of As You Like It. She sets it at a summer camp that has been rehabbed, um, and the protagonist and her cousin and their love interests are going to the woods to find out where her missing father has gone. I also really, truly, and deeply loved Melissa Bashardos' um, Winter's Tale retelling. Um, it is actually the one that ends this anthology, which I guess if you know anything about Shakespeare, it's just so fitting. And this is just like this really magical and romantic but contemporary retelling of this family torn apart and about how love and um, romance help Perdita heal and kind of feel whole again. And that was really fun because I super enjoy Bachardo's uh, 2YA fantasy books, but I had never read anything that was a little bit more contemporary by her. So this one was wonderful. I definitely need to pick up a finished copy of this because the cover is beautiful. And I know that I'm going to enjoy, you know, rereading or rereading and reading through some of these short stories for the first time. Uh, It's just 
it's really a great anthology idea. And I also think that in the case of some of these stories, too, because, you know, I don't think most people, if they've never read Shakespeare, can just pick up a Shakespeare play and immediately just dive in and understand everything that's going on. And that's, you know, not because readers aren't intelligent, but because Shakespeare, the language is something you kind of need to have a little bit of an intro on. And, or, and then you also kind of need to read to get a feel for the rhythm and and just the way he tells a story. So I think that this is a really brilliant idea because these authors, they take the original plays and like the messages and the characters and what these plays are about. And they interpret them into such interesting settings that I can definitely imagine that you know, somebody who hasn't read any Shakespeare can read this and really get a lot out of it. And then, you know, when you go and read the actual Shakespeare play, um, it maybe it's a little, just a little bit easier to kind of see and understand and, you know, you get a little bit more out of it. Um, I've actually read a lot of Shakespeare because I was an English major, but I still really enjoy just reading all of these um, short stories that I got to and I can't wait to finish out the anthology. So that is That Way Madness Lies by Dahlia Adler. All right, those are our new books. What are you going to read next? Um, I just got a copy of The Rose Code by Kate Quinn, and it is like 700 pages long and nice and thick, (laughs) and I am so excited to dive into it. I really loved The Alice Network and The Huntress, which are her first two books. Uh, I mean, those aren't her only two books. I think she's... um, She's written some other things, but those are her last two books that have been really popular. And they're World War One and World War II uh, fiction, which I'm not normally like hugely into. I know that that's really a thing right now, but in her hands, these stories were so brilliant. So I'm really excited for The Rose Code. That's out today, I think, right? Or, I know it's out last week. Oh, last week. Okay. Yeah. It's very yeah. new. So, yes. You probably said that, and I totally went through my head and went <laughs> the other side. No worries. <laughs> well, I am also picking up a giant book. I'm picking up Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead, which is 600-something pages, um, which I did not realize, but I was just recording an episode of the Nerdette podcast uh, out of Chicago, and um, the host was talking about how she loved, 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 loved this book. So I was like, oh, I must pick it up. And she's like, yes, and it's so large. There's so much of it to enjoy. So I am very excited about that. Um, And so those are our books today. And now we are going to answer listener questions. I feel like I should have a noise or like run around or do something like (laughs) a playhouse, but I have nothing. Um, First, I'm going to start off, Teresa, by asking you the question I've asked all the hosts. Uh, Chantal wants to know that what you do at Book Riot and do you have other jobs other than Book Riot? Okay, yeah, this is a fun question. So I am a full-time freelance writer, and I don't work for Book Riot full-time, but I work for Book Riot the most, if that makes any sense. Um, (laughs) So I... Um, Let's see. I write the weekly YA column. I write newsletters. I podcast here. And I also podcast on the Insiders Read Harder podcast. I help Liberty with the new release index on our Insiders platform. I write content. I create social media content. I work for TBR, which is our personalized book recommendation arm. And I do more article writing and sort of behind the scenes stuff. So 
It's a lot. I love all of it. It is very fun. When I am not working for Book Riot, I am also a YA writer. So my first book comes out from HarperCollins next month. It's called Pride and Premeditation. Yay! I am really excited that that will be coming out so soon. So, yeah. And I mean, I usually do just um, an assortment of, you know, writing articles for people. And I also run a writing retreat at my alma mater. So it is very much truly a hodgepodge of jobs that... I have somehow strung together into an actual career, and every year at the end of the year, my accountant is always like, why do you have so many income streams? And it's just because (laughs) I like doing all the things. At the end of the year, my accountant is always like, why did you spend this much on books? What did I tell you last year? (laughs) Yes, there's that too. You spend more, right? (laughs) More business expenses. (laughs) So... Before I ask the next question, your pub date for your book got moved by a month, so you had people who were congratulating you, which must have been weird and exciting, but also like sad because you're like, I still have to wait another month. But yeah. on your original pub date, I saw that people were like, Yay, Teresa, congratulations. I know. Which is, you know, it's so funny because the publication date got moved by just a month and and like at first I was really bummed about it. I was like, oh no, I have to wait a whole month, which I know a month doesn't seem that long, but like when you've been literally been waiting years to go through this publishing process, sometimes it just was like absolutely so sad but like after i was sad for a day i got over it and then on march 9th i was like man i'm glad i'm not debuting today i am not ready <laughs> but hopefully i'll be ready by <laughs> so our next question kendra wants to know what books would your fur children recommend now you have two cats and a dog right yes yes and i have three cats so do you think your dog would recommend different things than the cats probably right I feel like the dog would recommend something that's like how to work less and play more because she's always <laughs> so sad that I am sitting at the computer or talking into a microphone and not playing with her. The four hour work week for dogs. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> she would just be like, I mean, I feel like she would also recommend something on an audiobook because when I listen to audiobooks, then I can take her on walks at the same time. Oh, smart. <laughs> what about your cats? Do you think your cats? Um, Jin is seven months old and he's very much a stinker. So he would probably recommend, like, I could pee on this, which is a collection of cat poems. <laughs> because he... Which every cat owner has. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, luckily, Jin has not peed on anything other than, you know, just the litter box, um, which is exactly what he's supposed to do. But he is such a stinker right now. His favorite thing, I think it's because he's just like going through this teething process, is he will chew on everything. Like he has mm-hmm. scratched all of our kitchen tables because, or not our kitchen tables, oh, but no. our kitchen chairs. Because <laughs> he, like, they're metal kitchen chairs. And you can see little tiny, like, teeth scratch marks in them because he's just like, I got a on everything he chews on every cardboard box that enters the house he's <laughs> tried to chew on books it's been a real <laughs> i've been like no not the books jim but so yeah he would probably recommend um i could pee on this and um i'm not sure what oliver would recommend he's much more um you know res- he's 
He's a very resigned cat, but when he wants your attention, he wants your attention. Um, but uh, we once put him in a Shakespeare rough, and he looked very dapper. So maybe he would recommend some Shakespeare. I don't know. <laughs> the taming of the shrew, obviously. <laughs> right. <laughs> How about well, your kids? My kitties, I don't know. First of all, I don't think they like to read, but um, they'd probably recommend something that has like main characters that are cats. Something that, but like cats that take over the world, like Mort by Robert Rapino, which is the first in the War with No Name series, where like animals start talking like humans and like can move around like humans, and the humans are pretty much gone. It's a really fun series. Then the last one is coming out. Side note: I just found out that Robert Rapino also has a middle grade series that started last year called Spark and the League of Ursus, which is about teddy bear warriors that fight monsters at night while the kids sleep, which sounds Ooh. adorable. Um, but there's also Tail Chaser Song by Tad Williams, which is like a book where the cats are the main characters and they have their own language and there's a glossary. I read it when I was like 10 or 11. It was the nerdiest thing I had read and I was so <laughs> delighted. Like even like the squirrels have their own language. It was so much fun and also scary because like underground scary cats. So maybe that one. I don't know. Zivon has rocks for brains, so he'd probably just recommend a coloring book, I think. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but he's a sweetie. Okay, Aww. so uh, Megan wants to know, what upcoming book are you most excited to read? Uh, that's so difficult because I cannot limit myself to just one. Um, I'm really excited to read Dial A for Aunties by Jesse Q. Satanto. Wild fun. Wild fun. Okay, yes. I'm really excited about that book. It's her adult debut novel, but her YA debut book just came out last month. It's called The Obsession, and I read it, and I really enjoyed it. So I'm very excited for Dial A for Aunties. I also am a huge Stacey Lee fan, and her new book, Luck of the Titanic, comes out in May, and I just got an arc of it, and I'm so excited to dive in. I just got that one, too. Yeah, I'm very excited for that one as well. Um, I... I seem to be pretty good at, like, just picking one answer, and I'm going to go with Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead, which well, doesn't yes. come out until September. Although, I have read a lot about the upcoming books that are out this year already, so that might be why it's easier <laughs> for me to choose. That's not a brag. I'm just stating facts. I'm sorry. You know, I always feel bad. Um, but I have not read Harlem Shuffle, and I cannot wait to get my hands on it because I love Colson Whitehead. So, that is my answer. Um, our next question, Jennifer wants to know, what book would you most like to read again for the first time? Ooh, okay, again, I'm not going to pick a single book. I'm sorry. But I have often thought, because people have asked me this question before, and the, the answers never change, so I think that that means they must be true. Um, yeah. I would love to reread The Limiteer Chronicles by Melina Marchetta for the first time. Um, those books are a YA high fantasy trilogy, although, you know, they're published as YA, but I really do feel like they have amazing adult crossover appeal because none of the characters, like the characters are young, but they're not like, you know, 15, 16. Um, I would say they're kind of YA in the way that like Six of Crows is YA, where they're like technically younger and, um, you know, they're marketed as YA but they kind of sort of read like young like young adults as in like their early 20s. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, Finnegan of the Rock, uh, 
and Froy of the Exiles and Quintana of Sharon are those three books. And I read them all like right in a row a few years ago. And I just, I love that fantasy trilogy. I think it's my favorite fantasy series of all times. So I would love to read that again for the first time because the the plot and like the twists and the way everything comes together is so brilliant and so satisfying and it's fun to reread because you know and you know what's coming and you can see how everything's like coming together and building but I think it'd be really fun to reread it again without any or to read it for the first time without knowing it because it's just it was magical my other answer is um I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith because I just love that book and it is such a bittersweet coming-of-age story, and I'm emotionally devastated by the ending every single time, and it's the most perfect ending for that story, but I also think that, like, rereading it, knowing how it ends, does kind of, like, color your reading experience, but it's brilliant the first time around, so I would pick that one as well. I was just talking about Dodie Smith the other day, because did you know that she wrote 101 Dalmatians? Yes, I did! (laughs) Uh, and this I was, surprised somebody with that the other day. Yeah, this was her first book, uh, I Capture the Castle. And then yep. she wrote 101 Dalmatians after that, which is which is funny because I love I Capture the Castle so much, but I've never actually read 101 Dalmatians, so I should probably do that. There you go. There's some some goals for, you know, later on this year. Um I well, so my first answer to this question would be The Westing Game, but I already talked about it last week. It's like my favorite book from when I was a kid. But, I mean, I wish I could read it as an adult and see if I could figure out what it was, which I could not when I was, like, you know, seven. I did not solve the mystery on my own. Um, And I wonder if as an adult I'd be like, oh, that's what it is, obviously. I don't know. (laughs) But I just love that book. But otherwise, I would have to say probably one of my favorite books that I read as an adult. I mean, I was was 18, so I guess it counts as being an adult. Um, It would be Geek Love by Catherine Dunn. Like, that book just spoke to me, and I would love to just sink into it and feel the same way I felt the first time I read it. I've read it several times since then, and I still love it so much, but that first time, whew! Yes. That was just amazing. It's like, this book was written for me! (laughs) So good. I have to say that... Oh, oh, I I was just going to say, I somehow missed The Westing Game as a kid. What?! I know. And so I actually read it for the first time as an adult when I was going through my MFA program, and I was not able to figure it out as an adult, which, I I mean, not saying that, like, I can always figure out mysteries. But yeah, like, I really, I was, I remember reading it and thinking, like, oh my gosh, what the heck is happening in this book? So, I mean, maybe it would hold up uh, to an adult first time read. So we have one last question that was addressed to me. It's from uh, another Megan. This is Megan with an H. The last Megan was M-E-G-A-N-N-E. Just in case you're keeping track at home of the Megans on the show. Uh, Liberty, I love that you've watched are watching two of my most favorite shows, Murder, She Wrote, and Law and Order SVU, the latter of which I also marathoned while doing puzzles early on in the pandemic. I wondered if you continued watching Murder, She Wrote, Beyond Season 5, after completing your amazing article. Um, Tearsley, you mentioned that you do content creation. You and I both work doing that, and I wrote an article about Murder, She Wrote several months ago um, that several people contacted me and said they enjoyed it. And so that is what she is referring to. Um, I have not watched Murder, She Wrote past Season 5, although it is available to stream all seasons now, I think, on Peacock, which is exciting. And I plan to get back to it. I have been watching a lot of Law & Order SVU, though, um, simply because the f- 
regular Law and Order, is that how we refer to it? The original <laughs> Law and Order is not available to stream anywhere still. Um, oh, sadness. And so I've been watching SVU, and I enjoy them, but it's kind of turned into the same thing as, like, Murder, She Wrote. Like, if you watch them, and if you watch a lot of them, like, you know, several in a row, uh, I call them mystery turduckens, where they try to keep your attention by changing it up so much. Like, first of all, if there's a guest on the show, like a famous person, they're like 99% of the time they are the killer. So like you just can't get around it. I mean, it must like who wants to be the guest star and not be the killer, right? <laughs> so I mean, you're pretty much known that it is. But they also all do these things where it's like, well, it's this person, but then this person didn't actually do it. So it's this person. And then this person didn't actually do it. It's this person. And then sometimes it's like, no, it was the original person. Ha ha ha. Or like, this was like a mystery and a mystery. Like, it's never, you know, if like 20 minutes into it, they know who the murderer is. I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. That's, it's like when you find out who the murderer is, like halfway through a novel, it's like, well, that's not going to be the answer because we still have half a book left. Um, So, but I find them comforting, you know, in like a familiar way. I like seeing all the guest stars. And, I mean, but like, they're pretty predictable, but that's okay. Sometimes that, that works. Uh, so, I am surprised by Law & Order SVU a lot, though, because, I mean, I can't find my cats in my house. And, like, how are these people finding criminals in a city of 10 million people? Like, the fact that crimes get solved, you know, and that people are found is amazing to me. Because <laughs> I just am like, I don't even know where my cats are right now. So, that's... But I do plan to to finish watching Murder, She Wrote. And thank you to our listeners for all your questions again today. Uh, like I said, if you are listening to this before episode 303 comes out, you still have a chance to email us your question at allthebooksatbookriot.com and we might answer it on the air. Thank you to our sponsors, because we are all done today. Uh, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Dr. Baker, who is doing today's sound editing. You can drop us a line, like I said, at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Tirza hangs out on Instagram and Twitter at Tirza Price. That's T I R Z A H P R I C E. Still super jealous that you have a Z in your name. <laughs> I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive, which also has a Z in it, but is not my name, so that's not really the same thing. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime... Happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.